This episode is brought to you by Porsche. The new Macan is designed to help you make the most of every second of every day. We'll explain more in a bit, but first, let's get into the episode. I had to be a lot more vulnerable with my team because I was dialing in from my bed, like, you know, surrounded by pillows and, you know, not my most glamorous self. And initially I was terrified that I was going to lose a lot of credibility in the process because you develop a leadership style that relies on, you know, a certain presence and all of that. And all of that was gone. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than 9 to 5. All right, let's get into it. Today, our guest is Fiji Simo. She is the CEO of Instacart, the leading online grocery platform in North America. And Fiji is no stranger to the tech world. Prior to taking the reins at Instacart, Fiji had been at Facebook for 10 years. During her time, she was the head of the Facebook app, and she helped launch major products like Facebook Live and Facebook Watch. And she joined Facebook after spending four years at eBay on the strategy team. Fiji, thank you for joining us. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So we've been looking forward to, to talking to you for a while. First things first, we're going to warm up with our lightning round. Are you ready? Absolutely. Okay. I want to know, other than Instacart, what is your most used app on your phone? Good question. Well, Facebook silly is very much so. Other than any place that has employed you, what is the most <laughs> used app on your phone? Etsy. I'm a huge crafter, so I, I spend a lot of time on Etsy. So here's my follow question to that. If there was one product change you would make to Etsy's app, what would it be? Whom? Having a social features embedded in Etsy so that other people who are crafters, like do the same kind of crafts as you could connect with each other. What do you craft? I do a lot of crafting. I sculpt magic wands with my daughter out of wood and clay. And then I also do sculptures out of dry flowers, which is very very weird and bizarre, but very soothing. <laughs> I want to know, Instacart turned 10 this month. What's in your weekly order? Ooh, Nutella is always in my weekly order. <laughs> That's a good one. Is that like a big indulgence? What is the, you're like, we better have this in stock or else it's going to be a bad week. <laughs> oh, uh, absolutely. Like Nutella is always my go-to on, on stressful days. Not not really good for you. So, sometimes I add strawberries to the mix just to make myself feel good that there's, you know. Yeah, it's a, health, it's a health food. Now. Yeah, it's healthy. There's yeah. a fruit mixed in there. So, you know, all good. But <laughs> yes, Nutella saves, uh, saves us a lot of times. <laughs> if somebody was going to do a movie and you were featured in it, who would play you? Ooh. Great question. I love Sophia Bush. I always dreamed of like looking like her. I was a 
massive One Tree Hill fan. Welcome, so I, join the club. Exactly. Same. So, you know, I hope she would, I hope she would think. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. What was your first job? I was selling clothes at my mom's boutique. When was the last time you negotiated for yourself? Well, last year, as I took on this job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we ready to jump in? Absolutely. You have worked in spaces where there is a serious gender gap, whether you were interning as a lobbyist in the fishing industry <laughs> to working in the tech world. I'm really just curious how you were able to navigate that. So it's an interesting thing because everybody always asks me, like, did you see the gender bias? Did you face sexism? And the answer is obviously yes. I mean, you know, when you go through these industries, it's always the answer. But I never let that stop me. And instead, I sort of turn it into an advantage uh, because it also means that you have a unique perspective. It also means that you can bring something different to the table. So it's funny that you mentioned this uh, internship as, as a lobbyist in the fishing industry. I, not many people know that one. But it was interesting because, you know, I was obviously the only woman at a table of like, you know, 30 masculine fishermen. <laughs> Let's just say that. But you know, when you, when you start thinking of it not as uh, a weakness, but an advantage, you start figuring out, okay, like, how am I going to make a point that, you know, they may not have exposure to? How am I going to leverage that in, to my advantage? And my biggest fear with the narrative that, that we have right now around gender bias is that we're almost going to discourage women to enter these fields because we're putting such a spotlight on the fact that this gender bias exists. And, uh, you know, my message to women is like, yes, of course it exists, but that doesn't mean that you can't thrive in these environments. Focusing on what makes you unique and turning that to your advantage has been the key to me not, not you know, spending too much mental energy on all of the, all of the discrimination around. You were at Facebook for 10 years and you obviously saw a lot of growth. You were promoted. One thing that we always get asked, and I think we actually have a very limited view on this, is how do you work up the ladder at a big company? How do you go about being seen, being promoted? You know, if you look at my career at Facebook... I was promoted very fast. And the reason for that is because I also put myself in situations where I did take some risks. And I think it's really important to create environments in companies where women are going to be really encouraged to take these risks. You know, I was put in charge of driving a big part of our mobile advertising roadmap right after the IPO, where all of the headlines were like the fact that Facebook would never be able to monetize mobile. I took on building a video product when everyone, including people at the company, believed that it was too late and that YouTube had won the game and that Facebook shouldn't even enter. All of these things meant that I kind of put my own reputation and, and career at risk multiple times to get to these higher levels and, and obviously delivered. But the thing I'm really grateful for is that Facebook offered an environment where it didn't feel like it was so scary to take this risk. And that's why I talk a lot about the importance of sponsorship and not just mentorship, because what I benefited from during this uh, career progression is the fact that 
there were people like Will Cascard, who now runs WhatsApp, who during my career told me that it was safe for me to take this risk because he already saw the magic in me, he already saw that I was good at my job. And therefore, if I failed on this one project, he wasn't going to set me back in a massive way. And so having people like that who see the magic in you, put their own career on the line to support you and give you kind of this ability to to take this risk, I, I think that's the environment that we need for more people to really thrive and find a way to show their talents inside companies. What's the difference between a sponsor and a mentor? So the way I kind of describe it is like, you know, mentors are people who invite you for coffee, they give you some really great advice, they give you a nice pep talk, and it's all lovely. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's something that we all need, and that's very welcome. But sponsors go a step further. Sponsors actually put their reputation on the line to help you. They open doors for you. And that's very different. You know, when you're in, and I've seen that play out many times, when you're in a room where promotions are being discussed, who is going to be the person who convinces the rest of the room that you're deserving of that promotion? And, you know, sometimes at like some cost to themselves because they have to put, you know, their reputation on the line to make that happen. When a project is being decided, who is going to be in the room saying that you are the person that should drive it and, you know, never forget your name. That's what I mean by sponsorship. And that goes way further than mentorship. And I'll tell you, you know, I've done both. I've mentored people, I've sponsored people. And the difference is that the people I sponsor, I have very high confidence that they are people that are perfect for what the company needs. And therefore, I feel very comfortable in advocating for them and going above and beyond in recommending them in a lot of setups and scenarios. So that's that's a big difference. And I think women are so focused on getting mentorship and not focused on finding the circumstances by which you can develop an actual sponsor. I want to talk about one specific switch you made from marketing into the product side, even though you didn't have a technical background. How did you earn the respect of people who were coming from that perspective? I always kind of say that you don't have to have the perfect background on paper, but you do need to be curious and be willing to learn a lot. And so before making the jump from product marketing to product, in my product marketing job, I made it a point to connect with a lot of engineers and really understand their world and ask a lot of questions. And so by the time I moved to product, I had already gained some credibility. And the thing that helped me a lot is that I basically told these people, listen, I don't have a technical background, but what I'm going to be able to bring to the table in this relationship is a very good understanding of the market, an understanding of what consumers want. And engineers were craving that because they want to understand who they're building products for. And they were more than happy to provide that because I was also providing them with something they didn't know about. And that's how I learned. I asked a lot of questions. I was very curious. And, you know, most people are very open to that. And then, you know, I also stayed myself through the process. When I made the switch, I got some extremely well-intended but bad advice, which was, you know, oh, you 
you're going to switch to a world that's a lot more technical, but you still look way too French, way too, you know, feminine. You should really remove the makeup, wear a hoodie, tie your hair. And I tried that for like a day and no one recognized me. I felt horrible. I felt like I, you know, I had lost all of my, you know, confidence. And I went back to my high heels. I went back to my makeup and lo and behold, you know, I didn't lose any credibility in doing that because I, I knew my stuff. And so I think it's also important to not contort yourself and really stay yourself through any job that you take. So I hear that you are very good at time management. <laughs> Teach me your ways. <laughs> I don't know if I am that good. Uh, you know, I always, like everyone else, I think I, I always feel like I, I need a lot more time. But I have a really good prioritization framework for what I spend time on. And, you know, people sometimes talk about focus as doing only one thing. And, you know, at the scale at which I've operated, whether it was running the Facebook app, which has, you know, 25 products packed into it, or running Instacart, doing one thing is just not possible. So the way I kind of describe focus is really aligning where you spend your time and energy with your intentions. And so I'm very clear that if for this week, my number one problem to solve is, you know, Digging into the roadmap, I, I make sure that my calendar and where I spend my time matches my priority. Danielle and I subscribe to that, which I'm really happy to hear that you do that too. It's a game changer. Any other time-saving hacks that you, you find helpful? I think it's focusing on quality rather than quantity. So like, you know, everybody always asks me like, oh, what do you, like, how do you spend time with your daughter versus work? And the thing I always do is I intentionally once a week pick one activity that is going to really create a memory because we can spend, you know, a lot of time with our children and like that time can feel kind of, you know, lost, but I'm trying to be very intentional around creating memories with a very limited time I have. And then the last thing is a lot of people talk about the work-life separation. And I talk all the time about work-life integration where to me, the best thing that I can provide my daughter is an exposure to a lot of the wonderful people that I get to work with. Last week, my my whole team came to my house for an offsite and my daughter was right in the middle of it. And I think that's great because, you know, she's getting access to a lot of people that she wouldn't, you know, interact with otherwise. And so to me, like that integration is actually like the biggest time hack. That's so interesting you say that because I think some people would be stressed out by that, like having it all interconnected. Is that something that you've kind of experimented with different models and that is what has worked for you? Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to be clear, we're all different and I definitely don't want to pretend that my formula works uh, for everyone. But to me, this is a formula that I apply to many parts of my life. You know, when I'm spending time being creative, I think that helps me at work because like all of the muscles I activate through creativity in craft, like I need that creativity at work. Same thing, you know, I think of everything that I learn of parenting is very relevant to management sometimes and vice versa. And so to me, it's a lot about making sure that all of the parts of my life make makes the other parts better. And I, I'm not good at separation. I admire people who can turn off their brain and be like, okay, I'm not thinking about work and I'm like fully focused on, on something else. 
I'm not like that. I think about all parts of my life all the time. And so I just make sure that they work with each other very well. One of my favorite parts about interviewing successful women for the 9 to 5-ish podcast is hearing all about the opportunities that shape their careers. And a lot of time, it's it's not what you would expect. It could have been a summer job that sparked something. It could have been tough love, or it could have been that time when things just didn't work out and you were put on a totally different path. The consistent theme that I see is what we hear again and again is that these are women who haven't let chances go to waste. And when I think back about the critical opportunity that we have made the most of while building our business is not missing a connection, making sure that each day we walk into work, our passion is to make it the best day to build the company that we can. And the new Porsche Macan is designed for people who also make the most of every day and don't let chances go to waste. It combines the best parts of a compact SUV with the best parts of a sports car. That sounds awesome. Like a four-cylinder turbo engine with impressive horsepower, but also an expandable luggage compartment. So you have enough space for all your things, even when you overpack, which may or may not be an issue with me. And finally, this is my favorite, favorite feature. The adaptive cruise control and parking and lane change assistance systems. It's so helpful. Visit PorscheUSA.com to learn more about the new Macan. That's P-O-R-S-C-H-E-U-S-A.com. So I want to talk about, speaking of personal life and how you've had to integrate a lot of personal health challenges into your work life and and vice versa. You've been really public about, you know, whether having a difficult pregnancy or going through kind of autoimmune scares. I've followed your journey for many years now, and I've messaged you about it as well. I want you to kind of just like take us back to the moment, the first time that you were like, I need to tell my bosses what's going on with me. I can't hide this. Well, I mean, I had, it started this whole health journey. It started with endometriosis, which, you know, meant being totally debilitated with atrocious pain for one to two days a month where I had to work from home. And, you know, that at the time working from home wasn't, you know, as accepted as it is now. And so I had to tell my boss why I would have to disappear two days a month and why I would be on a pretty reliable schedule. And, you know, the, the wonderful part about being in a kind of men-driven environments is that when you tell them you have a problem with your period, they don't want to hear one more word after that. They just let you go away, do whatever you have to do. And that just is like, so oh, true. I always need to make it stop, you know. So, <laughs> from that perspective, it was somewhat easy, uh, but I had, I, I had very supportive managers throughout. And then, you know, during my pregnancy, I was on bed rest for five months. And for me, like I wanted to continue working because that was a way to to keep myself from thinking about, you know, the outcomes that were potentially facing me. And so I, I worked throughout. And the thing that was really interesting is that 
I realized that through this period, I had to be obviously a lot more vulnerable with my team because I was dialing in from my bed, like, you know, surrounded by pillows and, you know, not not my most glamorous self. And initially I was terrified that I was going to lose a lot of credibility in the process because you develop a leadership style that relies on, you know, a certain presence and all of that. And all of that was gone. And so I had to go back to, okay, what makes me good at what I do? How do I make decisions? How do I delegate? And how, you know, during these moments, I connect with my team. And it was really interesting because I realized I built much stronger bonds with my team during that time. And, you know, they started opening up about their own challenges. And that created a real kind of aha moment for me where, you know, I always thought that as a leader, I need to be like perfectly put together and pretend that I had it all figured out. And in that moment, I realized I I became a better leader because I could show them that I had, you know, some struggles as well. And so that sort of started the journey towards realizing that health is still a very taboo thing in the workplace, especially for women. And when I started opening up about, you know, my pregnancy and then the autoimmune condition that followed, uh, a lot of women came to me and were like, oh my God, we did not think that a woman with an autoimmune condition could be in a position of power. We have an autoimmune condition as well. And, you know, as, as you know, sadly, it is extremely prevalent, but women don't always feel like they can talk about that. And so I, I felt like I needed to make it okay to uh to talk about this i also have dealt with autoimmune stuff and it's you know invisible illnesses are are horrible and and can be very lonely and i think you know there's so many times i've gone to a doctor where they're like is your life stressful and i laugh i'm like well i run a company so a little bit and you know the regular advice is like you better eliminate some stress and you're nodding your head. So it sounds like you've also heard similar things from doctors. And yet you continue to rise the ranks. And now you're CEO of a major company. How have you taken kind of those warnings and like persevered and also self-protected? First off, you know, I I went deep into the science. And yes, of course, stress is a is a thing, but When you look at the data, a lot of doctors assume immediately that a lot of the conditions that are autoimmune in nature are driven by anxiety. And they assume that only in women. And so, so many women end up, you know, going to see therapists when they should really be going to see a rheumatologist. And that doesn't happen to men. You know, when, you know, my, in my condition, I faint a lot and it's a condition that affects 80% women and only 20% men. And when women faint a lot, like they are being told, oh, you're probably under a lot of stress. When men come to the office and faint a lot, doctors run a battery of tests on them to make sure this is not their heart, to make sure that everything's okay. And therefore, men end up being diagnosed with my condition way faster than women on average, even though it's a condition that affects women more. And so that gives you a sense of the depths of medical bias that exists. And and that's something that I'm kind of trying to solve with, with the foundation I created. But to me, it was important to understand the science because I think there's so much gaslighting that happens to, towards women. And by the way, like, to be clear, there are some wonderful doctors out there, but sadly, the stats are, are, are actually pretty terrible. And so 
by understanding that, it also helped me realize, okay, like there are some things that, about my condition that, yeah, they can be made worse by stress, by diet, et cetera, but fundamentally it is a very physical condition. And that helped me kind of figure out how to organize my life around it by, by understanding that much better. Now, you know, as I kind of thought about my career, I always thought that it's already, you know, annoying enough to have a chronic condition. The thing that would be doubly annoying is to let that chronic condition get in the way of your dreams. And attitude that I've taken is that I, I just don't want to let that stop me. That means that some things are harder, for sure. But I think on balance, I will be a happier individual if I continue to have the career I want to have, despite the health challenges. I'm like cheering for you over here through, through, through Zoom. But given that like so much of what you've dealt with is sort of these invisible illnesses, like on the days where you are just like not feeling your best, but nobody would be able to tell by looking at you. Do you open up to your team? Do you say like, Hey guys, I, I gotta just take a break or take a beat or I'm just not myself. Yeah. It's, it's always been a hard balance because as you know, uh, Carly, with these autoimmune diseases, sometimes you even forget what like good feels like your baseline is just like totally adjusted once you have a chronic illness. So what I did is that I was very clear with my team up front. You know, when I joined Instacart, I sent them a very long email about all the details of my condition, how it would manifest itself, all of that, so that they have the information and they know what to expect. And then the thing that, you know, when, when I have bad days, usually it means my blood pressure is very low and I have to kind of recline. And so, you know, I take the meetings looking slightly reclined and usually that's a sign for them that it's not a great day and they pick me on the side and they're like, oh, are you okay? And I'm like, yep, as long as I'm reclining, we're good. <laughs> and, you know, thanks to remote work, it's been completely acceptable to have different kinds of setups. And as long as I'm reclined, I'm all good. <laughs> so I, I'm Facebook friends with you because you used to work at Facebook. You have many friends. One of the things I love about following you is that you are constantly talking about things that you're learning and researching. And I would love to hear about your foundation and kind of what you're doing with that. And then I have more questions on researching. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, as I got diagnosed with this condition, I tried to learn everything I could about it. And I realized like the, the research around it is, and, and around all autoimmune diseases is incredibly inadequate. And so I hired some tutors from Stanford to give me classes in biology and biotech over the weekend. And that was fascinating. It was so interesting to learn about uh, a completely different industry. And through this process, I ended up meeting uh, a wonderful, for neurogastroenterologist and researcher, and we decided to co-found a, a um, company together and a nonprofit together where we're going to be opening up a clinic uh, in Salt Lake City. It's all dedicated towards conditions that are at the intersection of the nervous system and immune systems. That includes a lot of autoimmune condition, a lot of post-viral conditions like long COVID. And the goal is to really treat patients with these conditions the way they should be treated, meaning we understand and respect their experiences and, and hear their symptoms. And then in addition to that, we have a, a foundation that is going to invest a lot in research and partner with biotech companies to accelerate cures uh, in this space. And I'll tell you, like I've learned so much through this process because it's a 
again, a completely different industry, but with a lot of like parallels with tech. And the idea that, you know, we are not really leveraging all of the innovation that's happening in technology to find cures for these conditions is unacceptable. And the fact that we can do something about it and really, you know, put a lot of effort towards making that happen is really exciting to me. That's great. Congratulations on that. One thing that I am dying to know is just obviously the past few years with the pandemic have been a lesson in leadership. Now you're the boss at a huge company dealing with a health crisis pandemic environment. How did you take your experience and apply it? The most important thing is that if it was, it's been a period of absolute uncertainty. And I think teams have turned towards corporate leaders to guide them through it. And it's an interesting phenomenon where um, corporate leaders are being asked to step in, to do a lot more for the teams than just running a business, but it's really helping guide them uh, through a crazy world environment right now. And so a lot of what I've tried to do is to make teams feel incredibly cared for, whether that was when I was at Facebook or now at Instacart, by developing programs so that they would feel like their, their company has their back, whatever happens in their life. So if they get sick through COVID, we're going to be there to help them. If they have to take care of a sick parent, we're going to be there to help them and really try to create an environment where co-workers are not just co-workers, but they also support each other. And I think, you know, we, I'm a big fan of remote work. I think the flexibility is amazing, but remote work has also created uh, a gap in like human connection and uh, connection between teams, connection and sense of belonging to a company. And so what we're trying to do is really develop a sense for how we can combine the best of remote work and flexibility with also bringing teams together in person on a fairly regular basis, because we are finding that this human connection is something that everyone craves. Even the people who absolutely want to work remote 100% of the time, they still want opportunities to feel connected with, with other people and, and feel like they have a support network. And, you know, companies need to provide that. Before we go to our, our listener question, um, I'm just curious, what has been most surprising to you about becoming CEO? What surprised you the most? I think when I was leading the Facebook app, it was already such a large job that I didn't think that the CEO job would be that different. But in fact, I think the thing that is incredibly different is you become the face of, of a company. And at Facebook, Mark was always the face. And, and that's, you know, at Instacart, it's obviously incredibly different. And I, I think I underestimated that, that change. And in some ways, it is for the best because I get so much joy in setting up my own vision and really leading the company the way I want to, you know, an incredible responsibility, but also a real privilege. But at the same time, it also comes with all of the pressure of really being the face and, and the representation of that company. And so I would say, you know, the, the kind of bread and butter of the job, leading teams, building products, setting up strategy, all of that, like, is stuff that I had been doing for a very long time. But the biggest change was like really being the face of it. 
So Blake actually asked you, what was one thing you wish you knew before becoming a CEO? Ooh, great question. Um, How to order Nutella in bulk. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm pausing because it's like a lot of things prepared me well for it. But I think it's a point I made earlier, which is like how to be more than just a leader of a company, but how to find my voice so that I could really help the teams navigate a really uncertain world. I think that's something that you you have to develop over time. And even in the last eight months of me being in this job, like my voice and my posture on things have changed because I'm, I'm kind of fully embracing the role. And that means finding a voice on a lot of these issues where, you know, I'm, I'm expected to have like opinions to guide the team and, and that takes a while to develop that voice. Finally, who is someone else we should have on this show? Oh, great question. I don't know if you had her, but Meredith Livian, CEO of New York Times. We have not. We haven't had Meredith, but we know her, but that's a great, great idea. She's the most incredible woman. PG, value add in so many different ways. Thank you for sharing such great insights. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And we've also got another podcast, Pop Cultured with the Skim, where each week we're covering the pop culture moment everyone's talking about. New episodes drop every Tuesday.